Welcome to Talking TRM, the Travel Risk Management Podcast. I'm Bex Debman and I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I've met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking TRM, the podcast dedicated to travel risk management. My name is Travel Risk Bex and today my guest um, I have actually only met quite recently. Um, So I am going to say he is a friend to be. We don't do acquaintances on this show. Um, But this is what I love about this space. Not only has everyone that I've met so far been really welcoming, but it's just the way we kind of get to meet new people. And then suddenly you discover a whole other part that people have been working on that you didn't even sort of know about. And that's kind of the point of this show is to bring this to the forefront, to remind people if you're getting into travel risk management, don't have to start totally from scratch. There's some great stuff that's already been done. So this particular guest uh, was introduced to me through one of my clients who introduced me to the company that he's now working with. Um, So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce Damien Taylor to the show. Damien, how are you? All very well, thanks, Bex. All the better for seeing you. Thank you. It's good to see you. um, And thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate that. um, Well, I know exactly what you're going to be doing after this show. So you're going to be having some downtime with your son, which is fantastic. But I don't want to keep you for too long. So we'll crack on. Um, Damien, if you could introduce yourself to our listeners by telling us who you are and and what is it that you do? Thanks, Bex. And yeah, so my name is Damien Taylor and I'm currently an independent travel risk management consulting uh, consulting consultant. Really my my passion for travel risk management started many years ago before it was even a, a phrase. Uh, I left the, the military British Army back in 1995 um, and started leading really remote um, exped- expeditions for uh, a small gap year company called Trekforce. Um, and we were really doing some pretty remote, um, out there type stuff through uh, rainforest in uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, Belize. Uh, and I don't mean just on the fringes of national parks. Um, we were going in doing some pretty remote work, often, you know, two to three days walk, boat uh, from the nearest centre of habitation. Uh, and with that, the nearest centre of, of medical support um so uh, and obviously a key consideration when we were doing this we were taking uh gap year kids kids um you know these were fantastic people but we we had a duty of care for them and and this is again we understood understood that duty of care uh for people who were who were effectively put into our protection so we had to cover off every ankle uh, and I'm not talking, you know, dramatic snake bitey type stuff. It wasn't that. It, it's your standard, you know, burns, trips, breaks. Um, but we'd still need to get people out uh, of uh, the forest uh, or the jungle. So back in the day, a lot of that was done by the insurers, but it was down to you to actually, you know, we understood that we had to get them to to the center of uh, the nearest center of medical excellence. 
Um, and back then we were using AIG, uh, who in turn had a medical assistance provider, AEA, Asia Emergency Assistance, especially for our, our Indonesian uh, expeditions. Uh, AEA then further down the line, that was a, a baby embryonic uh, international SOS. Um, wow. So, so yeah, so it really, you know, this was way back sort of 95 when medical and security assistance was was really in its embryonic stages. Uh, but we understood that, that we really needed to, yeah, we needed to pay for things. So that's where the insurance came in. But then understanding, you know, the, the hospitals, the care, um, the, the transport systems, that's where AEA came in. But at the heart of it, and I guess this is, again, where my passion for location services, tracking, I mean, tracking is a bad word, but, you know, location services. If something happened, people had to know where we were. And that included the, the team that was uh, covering off uh, doing the support back in the UK um, and the team on the ground had to be able to to give a precise location so uh, to overcome this we used to carry uh, a Mearson expedition leader uh, we carried what was called a, an EPIRB an emergency position indicating radio beacon and I kid you not you know the first ones that we were using they were ship transponders that we carried in our wow. rucksacks and I'm Heavy. talking Heavy. you know they're about that size plus all the kit that you were having to carry uh, and what happened there was if you had to activate the beacon you pulled a pin on it it sent a signal up to a satellite which came down somewhere in Southampton to um, to a 24-7 um, office there or uh, control room uh, the alert would go off and they would go it's EPIRB such and such this is the latitude the longitude this is the emergency number to call and they would call one of us, typically two o'clock in the morning, uh, you're in bed uh, and it's your home phone number. You know, uh, mobile phones were pretty much coming in. So the, the duty mobile would go off. But all you had was a latitude and a longitude and you knew something had happened. You didn't yeah. know what had happened. You couldn't communicate with them. So you had to rely on really, really tight procedures that once the EPIRB was activated, you knew that they would be moving to the next uh, emergency spot. And then we would start, if it wasn't me on the ground, if it was me uh, back in the, the OPSEN or providing the support, uh, would then start to put in motion the insurers, warning them off that something had happened, calling AEA to say, you know, we're aware of something so they could start activating. So. So it really, you know, things went on the exciting bit. A couple of years later, another EPIRB came out, but it was a bit smaller, but still a heavy bit of kit. Uh, and I guess I spent a decade or so um, within the remote um, expeditions industry. Uh, I set my own little company up in Indonesia, training expedition leaders uh, to Fantastic. run safe, expeditions for the likes of World Challenge, Rally, Trek Force, they, they come to me. Uh, it was all backed by the Royal Geographical Society because back then the, there was no regulation. You could lead no. an expedition um, to these remote places with no qualifications at all, other than, you know, seem sensible yeah. or they may, may have a mountain leader um, certificate. So it was that whole location services, 
regulation, policies, um, standards uh, for people to follow. And, and really, since the 90s, the mid-90s, um, leading up to 2005, um, it, it, it was only when bad stuff happened that people really paid attention, you know, if there was a fatality. Um, and uh, I guess I was based on a, a little island in Indonesia. I have my own little uh, training company. Um, we then had two children and candidly, I had to grow up um, and leave our little island. Uh, my kids needed to go to proper schools and to put shoes on rather than running around naked uh, and barefoot. Uh, so I came back and joined Control Risks in 2005. Uh, again, it, it was an exciting period. It was there was quite a lot going on, um, and travel risk management was very much in its in its infancy. Um, to to most clients we spoke to, it was a matter of that we're not working in Iraq or Afghanistan. We we don't need uh, travel risk management. It's it's fine. Don't worry. You know we don't need guns and gates and armored vehicles. We've got our, um, we often we've got our travel management company. They're taking care of that bit. Absolutely. Sort of or we've got membership of one of you know whether it was International SOS or I think yeah. it was ASI or you know all yeah. the these organisations. All we do is we call them and the Black Hawks come in and and take us out of there. Um, <laughs> And really, I, I then went over to the joint venture between International SOS and Control Risks, which, which again was, was groundbreaking. You know, the two organizations came together, having identified that there was a requirement for both medical assistance and security assistance, yeah. and that they should be blended. Um, so that was 2009, and, and people were still, you know, we, we were... We and countless others were, were pushing the message of duty of care, travel risk management. Uh, and there were a lot of really good white papers out there, you know, um, that, that articulated duty of care, that articulated travel risk management, um, said what it was about. But, but th there wasn't really that appetite. People still had that. Yeah, but we've got membership or... Uh, we've got our insurers, we've got our TMC. Um, and then the Arab Spring happened in 2011. And, and really, that was a catalyst that really set a flame under, under organizations. You had the likes of Libya, and I was intimately familiar with this because I was the regional security director um, at the joint venture between International SOS and Control Risks. And it was my region that was going up in flames. So we were deploying instant management teams. Wow. Uh, we were pulling clients out. Um, and and you look at the likes of, of Libya. Libya went from a low-risk destination. The highest risk there was, was the road systems. And it went from low to extreme and full evacuation within a week. So a lot of organizations were caught on the hop. Um, yeah. And... And bear in mind the whole Arab Spring when you had Tunisia, then you had uh, Egypt, then you had Libya, then you had the likes of Bahrain, you had Syria. You know, it, it was a real time of turmoil. And, and a lot of organizations were working in all of these countries. Yeah. So, so we, we went from one crisis to another. 
and key to the question was, you know, we were like, where are your people? And, and the majority would go, we don't know. Libya, yeah, for instance, no. didn't have named roads. So in order to, to identify where people were and communicate with them, you know, in, uh, communication systems had gone down. Funnily enough, for Libya, we could still use BlackBerry Messenger, but, you know, mobile networks went down. Yeah. Um, Landlines went down. We were back to when they were working, back to using faxes. Um, you wow. know, it, it, <laughs> wow. it, it was a crazy time. Yeah. Um, and don't forget the Christchurch earthquake happened during that period and yeah. Fukushima. So you had multiple crises plus your business as usual. You know, companies were still sending travelers. Uh, out and about so so really it was where how do you find your people and, and back then there were you know pretty rudimentary travel tracking systems that most of the provide the providers had but they were all dependent on tmc data so yeah. it was it was really it was static data you knew that they mm. were in a country but you had no idea really where they were they could have landed in in london um and and bearing in mind it's not just hostile environments or high-risk environments bad stuff happens everywhere um and and what i always say in terms of preparation uh, for organizations a bit like the boy scouts motto better to know and not need than to need and not know. So preparation is absolutely critical. Um, and on the back of uh, the Arab Spring, a lot of soul searching was conducted. So, you know, a lot of companies were calling me. I was, you know, carpeted and put in front of companies and told, where were your black hawks? And it's sort of, it doesn't work like that. You know, at the heart of it, an organization has to do its own preparation and planning. They have to have their internal procedures. They have to communicate those procedures as well. Um, so, so that that's where it really starts to to get traction, and people really got the message that if if you're sending people on business travel overseas, anywhere, and and also following on from the Arab Spring, you then had the events of 2014. Uh, the terror attacks in London, Paris, uh, Berlin, you know, you had all of these incidents happening. Um, and at the heart of it, you had to know if you'd been impacted. So that that's where, you know, technology moved on as well. You got that then the sort of app-based app tracking. Uh, I was there at the forefront while we were testing um, the likes of Vismo with their live tracking. Um, so how could we provide active monitoring for clients sending people out who, who had this duty of care and wanted to be able to identify where they were if something happened so they could do something about it? And, and in addition to knowing where they were, being able to communicate with them. Um, so it's all around the preparation, the procedures. Um, in 2014, we were then looking at, uh, bearing in mind, this is when I was with uh, International SOS, who were very, very heavily engaged with uh, the BSI around bringing out a standard 
uh, or a specification that, that was independent, that wasn't like all the white papers, which basically said, these are the elements of travel risk management, and this is what G2 Care is. By the way, we provide them. Here we are. Come and talk to us. Um, and PAS 3001 um, came together as a, as a part of all of these different white papers. And the great thing about it was, you know, it, it was a publicly available specification. You, you couldn't certify to it, um, but you could adhere to it because it wasn't yeah. just organizations um, with their duty of care, but, but the travelers having that duty of loyalty back to the organization. Yeah. Um, and, and what the PAS did was it, it wasn't a dark art. It demystified that whole tree, travel risk management. It was independent. And it just said this in very easy stages is what travel risk management is about. And with, you know, judicious use of your insurers, your travel management companies, um, your assistance providers, if need be, a really clear travel security policy. So most people have travel security, but it's sort of tucked in amongst the, you know, if you're at this level of an organization and above, you can go in the pointy end and the posh bit of the airplane. And yeah. if you're below that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so the PAS, I, I left International SOS in 2015 uh, to set up my own little travel risk management consultancy, uh, Tenris Management. Um, and I've spent the past eight years or so working with organizations from small little uh, NGOs through to, you know, the, the big four, um, benchmarking them, looking where they're at, advising them, but also working for the, the, for the providers within that space as well, doing a lot of consulting work, which has given me an insight into how far the industry's come. And, and with the publishing in 2021 of uh, ISO 31010, uh, I call it 31030. Some people call it 31,030. You know, we all, it, so many it's out there. Versions. It doesn't matter. It's there. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and, and it's great. And it, it's on its way to becoming a, a fully certifiable standard, um, which is fabulous news. And, and what I've seen is a huge number of organizations. And, and, and I'm currently, you know, benchmarking. Uh, they want to be able to, to one, reassure their travelers and two, reassure the board that they're doing everything in their power. And, and, and the ISO does that very, very succinctly. Um, you know, it's not some big tome that'll send you to send you to sleep. Very, very clear guidelines. And at the heart of it, it's, it's about preparing you as an organization to travel. Uh, preparing your travelers to travel, having a source of information. So pre-travel advisories, which are all tied into itineraries, advising them or informing them if something's happened or might impact them, um, being able to advise them, tell them what to do. If something's happened, this is what you need to do and provide the reassurance. And worst case scenario, having the capability to respond. And at the heart of that, something goes off, you know, it's in the news or you receive an, an alert. The first thing that goes through my mind or would have we been impacted? Do we have somebody there? 
and technology's been moving apace it's really yeah. it, it, it's stupendous what it can do and and it's also that whole right to privacy you know in the early days people didn't want to be tracked or um so you had that you know you could you could provide the means but it was up to the traveler to actually go yeah i'm happy for my data to be short uh shared but but nowadays you know you're tracked by whatsapp facebook uh track my for everything you're tracked all the way through but but this is more about location services and i guess as far as technology one organization out there and i'll i'll be candid i'm i'm working with them at the moment uh, a company called track 24 um who've been in the industry for a long time you know in the in the early days uh back in the the sort of mid 2000 uh 2014 uh in fact before that 2009 2010 it was very much around satellite tracking mm, yeah and and platforms and 24/7 gsocs in hostile environments, the likes of Iraq yeah. and Afghanistan and so on. Um, but but really the the requirement is it's not about just traveler location, it's all staff. Um, it's all well and good, you know, having your travelers in London and knowing where they are. But nowadays with hybrid working, that duty yeah. of care extends to people like me, you know, at the moment working at home like yourself, Bex. Um, and and bad stuff does happen um and if for the chance of being impacted are, are really quite small but it provides that reassurance if you're able to go something's happened geofence an area and this is what track 24 uh with atlas nxt to, can do they can geofence an area and if, even if somebody has decided they don't want to be tracked if there is an immediate threat to life and the policies and the procedures are in place and that the, the the employees have agreed that in these circumstances I'm happy to be located, then the app can be activated remotely. Again, in turn, very clearly legally defined and agreed as well. Um, and you can find people, you can advise them what to do. Um, it, so technology, embrace technology combined with really, really tight policies and then procedures to underline them as well. And they don't have to be complicated. Keep them simple uh, because people have to read them. They, you don't want to send them to sleep. They've still got to read, um, read them and, and clearly understand them, know what to do in the event that something happens. Um, it really, you know, it it's out there technology it, it, it just has to be embraced and and the word is spreading and you know thanks to podcasts such as uh yourselves bex um and and really this diaspora of people now organizations have have developed their own travel security teams travel risk yeah. management teams yeah. um and the people recruited into them come from a variety of industries, but they understand travel risk management intimately, whether they come from TMCs, insurers, whether they come from the assistance uh, providers. Um, and and we can have grown up conversations with them that aren't, you know, a black art. It's, it's very, very simple. Uh, but at the end of the day, 
there are the tools there for organisations to provide that duty of care, look after their people and, and realise it's not just about travellers, it's, it's all staff, it's all staff location. Uh, there, are, there is the, the, um, the technical capability through, uh, you know, our phones um, to do this. And they're also, they're, they used to be very expensive. You know, it was all around satellite phones and satellite this. Uh, actually, there are really cost-effective solutions. And that's what uh, attracted me to Track24 was I've seen their technology and it really, really is cutting edge. I know there's others out there. You know, I'm not going to big up one against the other, but they're out there. Embrace them. Sorry, I've rattled on a, a fair bit but <laughs> it was amazing Damien do you know what I never get to actually just listen to someone and I think when I first met you I was like oh my goodness I just need to get this man on the show because he's going you you, you, you know you, you've, well you've just done it so beautifully you've just taken us on a journey from you know the 90s and, and how this whole piece has grown and what is shown me all the way through that is your passion and your drive and kind of why you're interested in this space so you haven't rattled on. You just taught us so much. <laughs> so thank you. Not sure where to start with implementing a standard such as ISO 31030? A gap analysis exercise from Ascent Risk Management is the best place to start. Our expert consultants will take you step by step through your chosen standard and highlight any weak areas. This can be conducted remotely and the results of the gap analysis can form the plan for your targeted project. Contact Ascent today at www.ascent1, which is A-S-S-E-N-T-1.com and booking your gap analysis today. Um, but, you know, I think any of our listeners listening will understand exactly why I wanted to get you on. So firstly, you know, it, this is a space that has been there for a long time. It's very easy to think it was kind of high-risk destination or high-risk location or or combat sort of activities or um or that kind of thing but actually it's it's been there for ages and there's companies that have been operating in this space for a, for a very long time and 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 for for good reason there's so much that you've just talked about that I want to go over and all this stuff's going through my head now so I want to just talk about I want to go back to the mountain stuff um and some of the, the stuff that you sorry not the mountain stuff the stuff that you were doing in Indonesia and some of that remote stuff because I think what I really want to hit home hard in the last few minutes that we've got is this pre-planning piece because I think this is going to be one of your golden nuggets anyway um if I should be so bold um but I just obviously you you had this sort of situation where you were aware of who the assistance company was who the insurance company was but what I was listening to and hearing through that you were also aware of your responsibilities and that you needed a plan of action. You needed to know what happened. So as the organisation responsible, that's what you were doing. How were you putting that stuff together and how were you finding out information about that sort of stuff back then? What were your, what were your tips around that? I really want to drill into that, if you don't mind, Damien. Yeah, it's, a lot of it was around SOPs. So our standard okay. operating procedures and, and yeah. back in the sort of 80s and 90s, a lot of us in that space were ex-military uh, yeah. and we lived and breathed SOPs. You know, they you had to have an SOP for for 
to everything. Eat for everything. Yeah. Um, and what we would do, certainly, so the expedition season would typically start in the summer after uh, the kids have finished school or university. Um, and we'd already identified the expeditions. We knew where we were going. We got the local partners. Um, and, and like you say, it's about planning. So we'd already sent the reckeys in. We'd already been in. Um, and key to it was recceing uh, reconnaissance of the site. But it was getting there and it was getting out uh, as well. What providers were available? I, I mean, in, in one instance, uh, we actually evacuated a, a young lad on a, an ox cart along uh, a sandy yeah. beach. Um, it was the quickest yeah. way to get him out. Uh, yeah. And we had him, uh, he basically, um, some fishermen, we were doing a, a turtle hatchery. We were building a turtle hatchery down in southern Sumatra. And unbeknownst to us that some fishermen had had a fire on the beach. Uh, and at the end of a hot, sweaty day, it was quite nice to walk down to the beach, go in the sea, have a bit of a, a wash down. Um, and this young lad was barefoot. Uh, we had we had quite literally said, you know, you wear something on your feet at all times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that had all, already been addressed. And what, what he didn't realize it was it was still light. It was coming towards dusk, but you couldn't see the glow of the charcoal. And he stepped straight on the uh, the fire, uh, which was still absolutely red hot. Wow! And to make matters oh worse, he stumbled forward and put his hands in. Um, immediately, we sprinted at him uh, and chucked him in the sea. Uh, mm. The sea was just nearby. We chucked him in the sea, kept him there. Um, but in terms of planning, every expedition had two doctors and two nurses and two fully comprehensive medical kits, which included burns kit, antibiotics, uh, IV fluids. Uh, it, we really were a, a very, very self-contained. So that was our, our first point of emergency healthcare was actually on the site itself. Um, and it had been planned out. So on the recce, we'd identified that the site was remote. How are we going to get out? Um, one way was motorbike through the jungle mm -hmm. on uh, little 125 uh, motorbikes. But then we thought, what if the casualty is incapacitated and, and cannot handle, um, yeah. can't walk and cannot sit? Because it's pretty damned uncomfortable going up and down jungle tracks on yeah. a, a little motorbike. Um, so we identified a, a local uh, village and, and they did everything by ox and cart. You know, they carried their rice in, their stocks, their supplies, and they used the beach as, um, as a that's road. Yeah. Um, so that's how we got him out. But going, going back to your question, Bex, um, it was all around preparation. And then we'd sit around the table and we'd risk assess every single project, every single project site to death. Um, and it wouldn't just be pulling out the old template. It would be right. This is specific to this site and these people. Uh, and we'd have uh, a good few days of planning with all of the expedition leaders who would be going to Belize or Sumatra, um, Kalimantan or wherever. And we'd sit down and we'd war game everything. And then we would work on the, the what if and how yeah. do we do this? How do we achieve this? So first of all, how do we prevent it happening in the first place? So thorough briefings, thorough training, um, experienced um, leaders, and medical staff, um, 
training up trainee leaders coming through shadowing the expedition leaders um, and then practice test 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 so you know plan 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 test 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 um, and it, it goes back to the old military adage uh, trade train hard hard fight easy uh, it really is that because once you've got that slick procedure uh, and everyone knows what to do it all clicks into place and the same can be transferred into the corporate space you know you've got a plan and you've got to test and you've got to communicate and then you know with the right tools in place you've, you've done everything you can do I agree and I think it obviously it's so new to the corporate space isn't it <clears throat> especially this idea of all travel all people anywhere this is the bit that everyone's a bit like I can't quite get my head around how we're going to control this and what we're going to do but I think you know what I've learned from you today well, I've learned a lot from you today but the bit that I kind of is, is looking back at some of these adventure travel companies you know they they had a, a reason to obviously make sure that these trips were secure, right? So whether you're taking GAP students out, which is a completely different thing to whether you're taking adults out, or I worked for a company called Explore. That was my kind of first thing into adventure yep. travel. And the stuff that, you know, the reccees that those guys did, the ops team was just huge. And this, again, was kind of back in the 90s, early 2000s, so way before... Um, the kind of slick communications that we have now and someone had the ops mobile and but what we did every year is we did a practice we had and that was across the whole company so we knew that an emergency call would come in at, we knew which week it would come in but we didn't know anything other than that and then we would all go into this piece but that's because previously they'd had a horrendous situation and actually had had learned the hard way that you needed to practice these things because they realized then the media attention and all this other stuff that can happen when an event happens and it was you know it was it was news breaking it was horrendous so the next 15 to 20 years they just made that process even better and i think there's just so much to learn from those guys but we can take that down to sort of our personal travel and what we should be doing you know there's so much emphasis at this point on the company getting stuff right but we've got to remember that as the traveler we've got to do that for ourselves as well so even if you are going to somewhere that you think is a low risk destination as you've rightly said and i say it's my mantra constantly you know anything can happen at any time any place to anyone um you should be doing some prep you should be doing some kind of um knowing the area that you're staying checking out the property understanding if if you as a person and the way that you you know you live is going to cause you additional risk by going to a place you know that that that's not the company's responsibility it's the company's responsibility to support you through that but you also have to be aware of it and um and take responsibility yourself so this piece of planning is just it's just so essential and that's why I really there's, there's so much we could have gone back over and there's so much I do want to talk about I really wanted to draw into this because where I come from in the travel world it feels like the travel starts at the point the booking is made and it and it doesn't and we try and squeeze in all these approval processes and all this other stuff around that really all of that should have taken place a month or so two months yeah. three months depending on what it is you're doing beforehand but we're in this place now of instant purchase got to do things quickly we're making these assumptions that everything will be okay or someone else is looking after it for us how do we 
change that? How do we, and I don't know if you have the answer to this, Damien, but I'm going to throw it to you anyway. Um, this will be our closing question for people. But how do we kind of put the emphasis on the fact that we maybe need to move, move where we start the planning piece and actually make this important for all travel? How? What's some of your recommendations around that? Yeah, I, th I think we're moving towards it, but I, I'm still shocked by the lack of preparedness. Um, Me too. In, in big organisations yeah. that have been impacted. So I guess it's a, it's a bit like water on stone. It, it's more and more um, travel risk management practitioners out there pushing the message. Um, you know, it, it's getting out there. Um, but it's not far enough. I, I'm, I, like I say, I'm shocked when I hear of the situations people have got, uh, organisations have got into, but also the frustrations shared with me by the TRM practitioners within those organisations. Because at the end of the day, when bad stuff happens and you haven't prepared for it, it's the board who are saying, Sorry, Malud, we haven't done anything. And Malud is going, but there is all this stuff out there that you could have been doing to prevent that bad thing yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, it really is. It, it's it's that, that serious. Um, yeah. So water on stone and hopefully it'll push through and it'll just become part of a, a company's DNA in the same way that they've got their financial controls and so on because it impacts their bottom line. Actually, stuff like this can negatively impact an organization's bottom line, no matter the size uh, or the reach. I feel, I fully agree with you. I mean, the worst type of uh, situation could literally bring a company down, couldn't it, if they're not prepared for this, you know, with social media as it is today, with the way we can connect and share stuff. And it just, I, I just have to agree with you. It surprises me as well. And actually, even sort of sometimes when they're going to high risk countries, there's a lot of reliance and assumption, I think, on suppliers. The bit that I think has been forgotten is the responsibility of the company putting their policies, processes. But like you, I see a massive change. I see, you know, it used to be the CFO that had the ear of the CEO. Now it's maybe the CCO or you're seeing CSOs kind of in that position. It tends to be those companies that have had an experience, unfortunately, perhaps a negative one that start moving a little bit faster in this space or a personal experience. I've noticed if a CEO or someone on the exec teams had some traumatic event happen to them, they get it. And there's you know no expense spared in, in getting this right because it's about people risk management and they get it. But there's a whole other, you know, wealth of companies out there. And I think although SMEs, you know, let's talk about them briefly, um, are are aware of this too, because it totally affects them. It affects every company. It affects me as a one person band, you know, or or yourself. Yeah. Um it's this isn't just the job of the big corporates, you know, we can all take responsibility of this at our own level. So even though SMEs working with big corporates need to start thinking about this and getting the stuff in place. And as I've said hundreds of times, it's a lot easier when you're smaller and there's maybe five travellers going to five countries than there is when you've got twenty two thousand travellers or whatever it is that, you know, these big corporates are doing. So it's a good sort of time to start early. Um hundred percent. 
Leave us your just... final word of wisdom, Damien, before we ter- before we before we stop. Um, I knew this would be a good one, and I knew we'd learn a lot. So thank you so much. But yes, how would you like to close the show? It goes back to what I said. Plan, plan, plan. Test, test, test. The tools are out there. Go to the ISO, uh, and and this is especially pointed at uh, SMEs as well, who don't necessarily have the budget for an expensive membership or anything like that. There are the tools in there that with judicious use of your insurer uh, or your TMC, they all have information sources. They all have um, location services, even though they're not live. And if you've got a small enough traveling population, you you can support them. Yeah. Um, So plan, 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 test, test, test uh, and educate. Train, train, train. Beautiful. Damien, it's been an absolute pleasure. I told you it would go fast. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you for all of your tips. Um, I love it when I get to stay quiet and our guest is is just so experienced and confident in their craft that they can just take the show. And I I mean that with respect. I honestly do. I love it. It's because I get to sit back and learn so much. So I'm grateful for your time today but I want you to go and enjoy some time with your son now even though this is going to come out in the winter it's the summer um, and you're about to go paddle boarding so that's very exciting um, well I'm about to take him to Kenya in a couple of oh, weeks that's even more exciting travel. so I've been doing all of my travel risk management planning and preparation for that you see so I have precious cargo we should even do it for our leisure holidays, especially when we're traveling with family, right? It's, you know, it's on you. Ultimately, it's the parent. Um, Damien, thank you. Um, I, I actually want to get you on for another show, another time. And I'm just sorry that we've run out of time today. But I think everyone will love it. Everyone leave their feedback as normal. And we will get Damien on for another show, should you want to. Um, <laughs> thank you uh, for everyone who's listening. You've been listening to Talking TRM. My name is Travel Risk Bex. My guest today, Damien Taylor, independent travel risk management consultant, guru, who I will just learn from now, from now on. Um, Join us in another couple of weeks for another episode. In the meantime, please take care of yourselves, take care of your people, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Talking TRM is in association with the Scent Risk Management. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31030, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to a Risk Management to talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clemark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.